Chapter Seventeen of The Spider by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Seventeen In the Train. Within a week of the episode at Isleworth, Colonel Towton took Vernon with him to Yorkshire. Inspector Drench was still searching for the fugitives and was unable to find them. True to his reputation, the spider had covered up his tracks in a most masterly manner, and there was not the slightest clue to indicate his whereabouts. Presumably Maunders was with him, as he had not returned to his rooms in Planet Street, nor had he been seen in any of his usual haunts about town. This was to be expected, as Maunders had, as the saying goes, gone under and the society wherein he had glittered so gaily would henceforth know him no more it seemed a pity that a young man with talents and good looks and social positions should have ruined his life at the very outset of a promising career but there must have been some criminal strain in maunders which came to the surface in prosperity instead of being revealed by poverty he was as coleridge says about people with such natures a fool in a circumbendibus however it was useless for vernon to mourn over his old school friend's downfall he had done his best to keep him in the straight path and had failed to prevent his feet from straying he therefore as there was nothing else to be done at this eleventh hour washed his hands of him and left him together with hest to the tender mercies of the law as represented by the inspector now that drench had all the threads in his own hands he resented anyone else weaving them into ropes for the necks of the criminals as he apparently wished to secure all the glory and honour of the capture to himself both towton and vernon were rather glad that the inspector took this view as they wished to have nothing more to do with the matter and before leaving london for bowderstyke vernon shut up his covent garden office and formally renounced his pseudonym of nemo as by this time he was officially recognized as his uncle's heir he could well afford to do so sir edward however still lingered between life and death so it was doubtful when vernon would enter into his kingdom while the train was flying through the autumnal landscape towton and his guest made themselves comfortable in a first-class compartment which they had secured to themselves for the purpose of uninterrupted conversation they were still deeply interested in the case and looked forward anxiously to the capture of the spider it was only right that he should suffer for his dastardly crime in murdering an old and inoffensive man as to maunders he was evidently hand in glove with the cleverer rascal and would undoubtedly be given a long term of imprisonment thus society would be rid of two dangerous people and those with secrets would sleep the easier knowing that one asmodeus was dead and the other safely locked up but i don't know what poor mrs bedge will do said vernon looking dolefully out of the window does she know anything asked the colonel throwing down the morning paper which he had been reading and settling himself for a talk vernon nodded i saw her yesterday she sent to ask me what had become of constantine i was obliged to tell her do you think that was kind or wise i think so decidedly it was better that mrs bed should learn the truth from a friend and see it crudely printed in the daily papers and there it is bound to appear sooner or later drench will have to catch the spider first said the colonel coolly no easy task as we know what did she say 
At first she declined to believe it badly as Maunders has treated her. She kept insisting that it was all a mistake, and that Constantine would appear to put matters right. "'What wonderful faith these women have, Vernon!' "'Bless them, yes. They go by their hearts entirely.' "'In that case,' remarked Towton dryly, "'Mrs. Vedge must have known that Maunders is not the saint she tries to make him out to be.' "'I did not say that she went by her instinct,' replied Vernon equally dryly. "'There is a difference between that and heart-love. "'Because Constantine is her sister's child and her adopted son, "'Mrs. Bedge's heart, which he has almost broken, cherishes him fondly. "'But her instinct must have told her long ago "'that the fellow was a scamp of the worst sort.' "'He's a thorough-paced scoundrel,' said the Colonel vigorously. "'Mrs. Bedge declined to take that view of him.' she wailed that he had a tender heart and was led away because he had a weak nature in fact her defence was that of a man being his own worst enemy maunders certainly was he had all the gifts of the gods yet yet fell because the greatest gift of honest purpose was not given finished vernon hang it all towton scamp as the fellow is i am sorry for him i'm not growled towton savagely ah you did not play with him as a child nor did you go to school with him my friend although i'm bound to say that constantine was always a selfish chap what you would call a rotter i would call him nothing of the sort vernon i detest slang that's a mistake slang frequently hits the nail on the head when the king's english misses it altogether slang conveys much in little and oh the deuce take your philology go on talking about mrs Bedge there's no more to say maunders has pretty well drained her but she has enough to live on and the hampstead house is her own towards the end of our conversation however she let out that she was not surprised at connie's behaviour as she rather expected it hm somewhat contradictory why well it seems that maunders father the greek mavrocordato you know was rather a bad egg himself he worried his wife mrs bedge's sister that is into her grave and swindled his partner before he committed suicide i never heard that before no mrs bedge always kept it quiet for the boy's sake until she let it out to me in her grief yesterday mavrocordato he took the english name of maunders bolted with a heap of his partner's money and shot himself at corfu whither he was traced by detectives mrs bedge adopted the son and did her best to train him up as an honest man she tried her hardest i'm certain but what's bred in the bone you know colonel towton folded his arms and stared straightly before him poor devil he was considerably handicapped by such a father i wonder vernon for how many of our deeds we are responsible when you take heredity into consideration some sin because they like it but many because they can't help it let us give maunders the benefit of the doubt and say that the sins of his father were visited on him and of course we must not forget that hest is an extremely clever and strong-minded man who could and did easily control maunders weaker nature there's something to be said there assented the colonel thoughtfully i dare say hest entangled the poor wretch in crime before he well knew what he was about and once committed he would be compelled to remain in the mud but hest himself vernon what do you make of him i don't know enough about him to give an opinion perhaps when we see the sister she may tell us something 
oh by the way i received a letter from her two days ago about which i intended to speak to you vernon all this bother and worry put it out of my head i left it at home unfortunately but i can tell you the gist of it vernon looked interested what did she write about and why to you she wrote to me because she wants me to marry ida i really don't see what she has to do with that remarked vernon with a shrug for ida is surely of an age to choose for herself i always told you vernon said towton deliberately crossing one leg over the other that ida being less masterful than miss hest is usually guided by her and that i objected to the guidance ida liked me more than anyone else before that handsome scamp came along then she became infatuated with him and miss hest did her best to induce her to marry him but the sad death of dimsdale took ida's thoughts off maunders and as i judge from the letter ida wrote me from gerby hall miss hest tried to get her to love the man again failing that she attempted to get ida to marry her brother only he came up to london not feeling disposed to fall in with his sister's views you can therefore see that miss hest sways ida a great deal and for that reason i have come to get her away from such dangerous company doubly dangerous now that we know francis hest is the spider vernon shrugged his shoulders it's rather hard to blame the sister for the brother's delinquencies he said judicially and now that he and maunders are out of the running she will place her weight in your scale in fact from your late observation she has already done so you should be very pleased colonel whereas you seem to me to be ungrateful i don't want ida to be induced to marry me by miss hest's representations vernon said towton hotly it's a liberty on her part to interfere with my wooing lady corsoon comes down to-morrow with her daughter and i shall ask her to go to gerby hall and bring ida back with her then we will have finished with these shady people and ida will marry me of her own free will well colonel replied vernon pacifically i hope things will turn out as you expect but what did miss hest write about about her brother she asked me if i had seen him and what was the matter with him vernon looked puzzled i don't understand does she suspect she suspects nothing broke in towton impetuously but she stated that she received a letter from her brother four or five days ago saying that he intended to leave england for ever as he was tired of civilization he enclosed a deed of gift making over gerby hall and its acres to her as he intended so he said to earn his own living when abroad naturally miss hest could not understand this and wrote asking me what was the matter did you explain no i wrote saying that i was coming down to my own place and would tell her all i knew when i arrived but you can see vernon that hest is still in london he was six or seven days ago but he may have gone away since said vernon cautiously who drew up the deed of gift i can't say miss hest did not explain that why because if it was some lawyer we might be able to question him regarding hest's latest movements huh so hest has bolted well i'm not surprised at that but i am rather astonished he should surrender his property oh well i expect his business as the spider has made him quite a rich man remember the blackguard has been blackmailing successfully for three or four years he knows that his sister has nothing save what she makes by her reciting so perhaps his conscience smote him and so he made his deed of gift it's a lucky thing for her as gerby hall is a fine old place although rather gloomy 
and there is a decent income of one thousand a year attached to it farms village rents and all that sort of thing you know it's queer hess should have behaved so well when he is such a scoundrel towton you told me he quarrelled with his sister and certainly from the remarks she made about him to me she did not seem over fond of him blood is thicker than water said the colonel sententiously and dog does not eat dog i agree with your first proverb but not with the second towton miss hest is not of the same breed morally speaking as her brother and no doubt will be horrified when she learns of his wickedness probably you always defend her i am just said vernon coldly so far as i can see she is a clever woman of good principles although i admit rather masterful her brother has done a wise thing in handing her over the property whatever his reasons may be she will be an admirable mistress oh as to that hest was a great benefactor to all the villages around and the people swear by them but if he has bolted with maunders drench will have to let the matter drop but if he is captured no one here will believe that he is a murderer and a blackmailer they know him only as a good landlord and a kind friend and we know him as a criminal strange that two such diverse natures can exist side by side i dare say hest hoped that his good deeds would pay for his bad ones said the colonel carelessly i shall be glad if he escapes richly as he deserves to be hanged for murdering dimsdale it will be just as well if the whole thing is buried in oblivion then i shall marry ida you miss corsoon and miss hest can play the lady of the manor here as she pleases what about the dimsdale property if it belongs to lady corsoon she must have it if maunders story is a lie which it may be i shall stick to it on behalf of my wife however we may hear from venery of singapore in a few weeks my letter must have nearly reached him by this time you can learn the truth of the story nearer home said vernon after a pause miss jewin the housekeeper at gerby hall told the story to maunders according to his own account i shall question her you may be sure said the colonel grimly but i want to hear from venery also oh i'm sick of talking about these things he added with a yawn it's time for forty winks and forthwith he closed his eyes after settling himself comfortably in his seat vernon not inclined to rest lighted a fresh cigar and buried himself in a book it was five o'clock when the travellers reached bradmore the nearest station to bowderstyke it was ten miles to the valley but the road was excellent and towton's motor-car awaited them in ten minutes the baggage was packed away and vernon with his host was safely ensconced in the back part of the machine which was covered with a hood towton asked vernon if he would care to drive but as the offer was refused and the colonel himself did not feel in a sporting humour the conduct of the journey was left to the smart chauffeur he appeared to be well acquainted with the country and as the road was somewhat lonely the motor travelled towards bowderstyke at a great rate of speed the motion was exhilarating and the view on either side of the roadway extremely picturesque so vernon enjoyed himself greatly in the fresh air after the close atmosphere and the monotony of the train with the wind blowing in his face and the smooth easy gliding motion he felt like a flying bird or at all events as though mounted on one the country was wild and barren consisting mainly of interminable stretches of moorland mounting up on either side of the road to considerable heights 
occasionally there was a dip covered with green grass and trees already beginning to shed their leaves but for the most part the sombre moors darkening in the falling light spread solemnly to right and left it was rarely that a house or a village was passed and only every now and then could vernon catch a glimpse of cattle or human beings this country would get on my nerves he said to his companion it is like the weird landscape described by browning in his child roland poem these telegraph poles are the sole signs of civilization oh we'll come to a more cheery aspect shortly said towton smiling for my part i love the gloom and the loneliness of our moors many a time in the garish indian days with a burning sun and the hateful blue sky i have longed for dear old yorkshire everyone to his taste said vernon with a shrug i prefer something much more cheerful you are a cockney at heart vernon i dare say london is good enough for me towards the end of the ten-mile stretch from the station signs of civilization became more frequent here and there was a village with cultivated fields around it cattle were pastured in enclosed paddocks and men and women with laughing children trudged along the high road looking after the motor with great curiosity for the machine was yet a novelty in that lonely district twice the road ran directly through a village and vernon had an opportunity of seeing the solid grey stone houses which were suited to the calvinistic looks of the country and the people themselves appeared to be what the scotch call door and now the moors began to grow higher and to close in on the white road with a gradual menace leaving the comparatively broad lands the motor glided into a valley which grew even more narrow as they proceeded a babbling stream prattled down the centre of this over a stony bed and beside it the road twisted along like a white serpent protected by a parapet of rough stones already the crimson light of the sunset had died out of the western sky but the moon was full and soaring high in the dark blue dome of the firmament poured floods of light into the gully to use a colonial expression for by this time it was little else and looking upward vernon could see star after star peep out to attend the majestic orb what do you call this place he asked abruptly towton glanced at him in surprise didn't i tell you it's bowderstyke great scott colonel is your house situated in this isolated damp spot i should think you never saw the sun from one year's end to the other save when it was directly overhead oh the valley broadens out further on this is merely the entrance what the deuce do the inhabitants live on it's like living in a drain oh confound you vernon said the colonel half annoyed it's one of the most beautiful places in the world if you were a yorkshire tyke you would admit that there is only the village of bowderstyke a mile away and the inhabitants live by pasturing their cattle on the moors on the heights above also there is a weaving and spinning industry the mills being driven by water power of which there is no lack this stream doesn't seem to have much water said vernon disdainfully you should see it in winter when the snows melt on the moors advised the colonel besides the water from the mills comes from hest's new reservoir and there is a never-failing supply this stream used to be much broader and its bed contained much more water but when the bolly dam was constructed of course the supply dwindled pipes run under this road to supply the several villages you saw just before we entered the valley 
where is the dam which our criminal friend built towton pointed straight ahead round the next corner you could see it but we do not go so far there was a small lake there upon the moors which fed this stream hest simply got engineers to dam the lake and prevent too much water going to waste down the bed of this torrent the dam runs right across the valley a mile and a half beyond my house but isn't that dangerous if it burst this valley would be flooded from end to end and everybody would be drowned to say nothing of the way in which the village would be smashed up well yes towton pinched his nether lip uneasily i've thought of that myself many a time but i was abroad when the dam was constructed there certainly as i have often said should be an outlet for the water other than the pipes which supply bowderstyke and the villages outside the valley capacious as those same pipes undoubtedly are assuredly if the reservoir burst there would be a great loss of life and destruction of property but the bali dam is very strongly built so i have no fear of anything happening you can see it from my house and we'll pay it a visit in a day or two meanwhile this is bowderstyke village by this time they were passing through quite a number of small houses from the windows of which lights gleamed cheerfully the motor soon left these behind then swerved to the right looking up from the entrance to the valley and shortly began to climb a winding road at this point as the colonel had foretold the vale broadened abruptly and the high moors stood away so as to form a kind of deep cup up the side of this the road along which they were travelling sloped upward for some distance then turned on itself and sloped still higher shortly the motor attained the highest level and in the moonlight vernon could see the moors stretching for miles lonely and romantic a straight road ran parallel with the upper portion of the valley for close upon half a mile then appeared a miniature forest encircled by a high stone wall this was undoubtedly artificial as the moorlands were treeless and the unexpected woodland looked out of place amidst bleak surroundings the motor soon arrived at two tall stone pillars crested with heraldic monsters and passing through these spun up a short avenue to stop before a large white house brilliantly lighted up spacious lawns opened up before the mansion interspersed with flower-beds now bloomless and the whole was shut in by the fairy forest as vernon called it in his own mind here we are said colonel towton jumping from the car allow me to welcome you to the grange my friend thank heaven the journey's at an end said vernon end of chapter seventeen read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california